After 20 years of planning, OSIRIS-REx collected some samples from the surface of an asteroid on Tuesday night in a magnificent feat of engineering and science. Yep, the tag team did an incredible job. Uh, but we're also going to have a chat about space junk. And uh, I know what you're wondering. Has Emily watched the right stuff? You'll find out later. Please do get in touch and let us know your thoughts about what we're doing. We're at Space and Things 1 on Twitter or tag us at Space and Things Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, please do. And uh, maybe get a t-shirt or a hoodie on our website, spaceandthingspodcast.com. But for now, we're hoping to entertain you with Episode 8 of the Space and Things Podcast. You're listening to the Space and Things Podcast with Emily Carney and Dave Giles. I'm Emily Carney. And I'm Dave Giles. And welcome to episode eight of our podcast. Uh, I, I'm super excited right now. Um, it's Tuesday night as we're yep. recording this and we've just watched this uh, this wonderful mission come to, well, not a conclusion, but uh, one of the key parts of it come to a conclusion with the sample being collected. We're going to talk more about it later, but both of us are buzzing. Yeah, uh, that was that was just like a, the best natural high I've gotten in a long time. Uh, that was just wonderful. There's just been so much, you know, obviously there's been so much difficulty this last year, just worldwide. I don't know. I don't want to be negative, but there's, you know, just a lot of not pleasant situations going on in this, um, just to see this and not just Osiris Rex, you know, succeeding like this, but, you know, just everything else in space flight in this year for me. And I'm sure you as well. It's just been so inspiring and it's been very uplifting and moving. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we, we will talk more about that later. But yeah, right now I, I'm on cloud nine and it's a good feeling. It's a very, very good feeling. Uh, but anyway, let's uh, let's get on with the show. Okay, we're off to a good start. Play it cool. So yeah, another crazy week in space. I know last week I said that we talk about the changing of the crew on the International Space Station, but we will focus on that next week as we count down to 20 years of continuous human presence on the station. Uh, but in brief, last week, the Soyuz MS-17 spacecraft carrying two Russians and American launched and it made it to the space station in record time, just three hours, which is twice as fast as normal. Uh, and I can't help but think that the, that Russia wanted to remind us that they do space quite well. And uh, with all the hype of the Crew Dragon launch this year and uh, all the US scrubs that have happened recently, uh, I think it was a bit of a media win for them, that one little thing. But it may have been overlooked, but it was definitely them you know, flexing their muscles a little bit. But on Tuesday, uh, X, the Expedition 63 crew passed over command to the new crew and they left the space station yesterday. Uh, and they are now back on Earth. Uh, but we'll discuss that mission more next week because um, there's just too much to go through. Yeah. Um, next week, as as Dave said, uh, will be the 20th anniversary of a continuous uh, human occupation on the International Space Station. You know, with that OSIRIS-REx... With that happening this week, and um, we're also going to get into some other interest, potentially interesting news that, well, almost happened this week that could have been bad. We'll talk a little bit about that. And um, it was just a little too much. We didn't want to give you all a three-hour show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would have not been fun, um, maybe for a lot of you. So, um, yeah, so we're going to do that uh, next week, and we'll also try to provide some historical context of uh, space stations from the past, uh, including uh, Skylab, uh, Mir, uh, Salyut space stations, you name it. So yep. uh, 
Space stations, we got them and we'll be talking about them. Yep, next week. All good. Uh, but yeah, as, as Emily said last week on, on Friday, uh, Leo Labs Incorporated, I think that's what the ink stands for. I'm going to go with that. Leo, let's just say Leo Labs Inc., <laughs> a company which yeah. tracks space debris, reported that there could have been a big collision between a defunct Russian satellite and a piece of an old Chinese rocket. Uh, the internet went a bit crazy about this as we all waited uh, for the news as whether they had hit or not, or whether they had collided or not, but fortunately they didn't. Um, and that is very much fortunately as the objects had a combined mass of more than 2.5 tonnes and a relative velocity of 33,800 miles per hour. And had they have collided there would have been all kinds of problems with debris flying everywhere in all directions. And that could have caused a lot of problems for operational satellites and perhaps even the space station. Um, so it's good that they didn't obviously collide. Uh, and a lot of chat has happened since this happened. Uh, even Mike Collins has been tweeting about it uh, and t- yeah. tweeting articles about it, which has been fun. Uh, but the, the CEO of Rocket Lab, the New Zealand rocket company, he, uh, he had quite a, a thing to say about it and he even has been saying that um, with all the items that are in low earth orbit at the moment it's actually getting difficult to plan new launches as you've got to try and weave your rocket through all of these items uh, which is pretty crazy and of course SpaceX then launched 60 more Starlink satellites on Sunday <laughs> uh, so yep. it, it may appear that Scrubtober is over in Florida uh, but there's, there's certainly a lot of stuff up there at the moment which we need to um, probably have a little chat about yeah i've had a a few people uh actually request uh that we discuss uh space junk and um given what happened last week on friday i definitely think that's a timely topic yeah um and as you said even mike collins i've seen him tweeting about it and i'm like you got you got to think about you know i i don't want to call mike collins old because i I think he's ageless (laughs) but um you got to think you know back Back when he was around, you know, my age, he was probably, you know, late 30s, early 40s or whatever. There was comparatively little space junk compared to what we got now. So I'm sure, you know, uh, you know, I mean, he, I know he saw the S4, their S4B tumbling away and they probably thought, wow, that's huge. You know, that's a big piece of junk up there. It's probably a completely different story now. Um, yeah, I'm thinking if that if those two pieces actually had collided i want to say uh how many meters were they within each other like 25 yeah that's something nuts that's what they reported they thought they thought it was about 25 meters which is which is and bear in mind how big yeah you know space is big and in the area above us is big for them to get that close is really crazy yeah that's like the earth equivalent of like you know you're driving and you're on somebody like right next to somebody's like bumper oh yeah you are just about to hit them. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. So how did they not hit each other? I mean, but a, a couple of weeks ago, the, the ISS had to do a manoeuvre to, to avoid a collision as well with something potentially yes. hazardous. This this is becoming a, a thing that, that the crews are going to have to uh, to start dealing with on a, on a more uh, regular basis, which is worrying. And that's why we can't allow them to collide if we can avoid it, because that will just cause even more problems. The ISS stuff to me is especially, well, it's, frightening on a few levels because obviously there are actual people up there um also the iss is really large mm, <laughs> it's a very large it's it's humongous um there's that fantasy part of me that you know wishes maybe i'll get a chance to go up there someday <laughs> maybe they'll run out of people and <laughs> they'll select me or something but I, I can't imagine you know seeing it in photographs and you know kind of telling yourself okay that's about as big as a football field 
having, you know, I try to imagine being, you know, on a Soyuz or in a Dragon or on the shuttle or whatever and just approaching it and you're like, oh, okay, it's, it's small from, oh my God, you know, and as, as you close in, it gets huge. So that's a really big piece of machinery yeah. up there. And um, also, the, I believe the, um, the procedure for um, getting away, you know, if the ISS is in threat of being hit by something is they go into the Soyuz of the Dragon. They, they try to get the heck out of there, you yeah. know? That's kind of a contingency situation, and that's not really something you want to happen because, you know, it, it requires the crew to possibly leave and that they're going to have to leave a lot of experiments and a lot of stuff kind of, you know, okay, we're just going, you know, and uh, a lot of things are not going to be finished or, yeah. you know, kind of left in limbo for a while. So, yeah, it's it's generally not a desirable situation for anybody. So, yeah, it, and, and it's scary. I mean, it, it I'm sure... I th- I'm sure astronauts and space travelers are made of something a little different than I am. They're probably, <laughs> you know, trained to deal with that stuff, and they're probably very calm. But the idea of, you know, okay, something is pointed at us and it's not going to miss is like to me is like, oh my god, you know, I would be terrified. So yeah, yeah it's frightening on many levels. Yeah, I mean, there's a uh, at the space center in Houston, uh, they've got a whole section of pieces of material that have had that they've brought back from the space station that have had impacts just from like tiny tiny little particles that are floating around uh, and the damage that those tiny things caused uh, they've got something similar at the at the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum as well where they've got a I think it's the old Hubble mirror or something to do with Hubble something they brought back from Hubble when, yeah and again that's it's covered in in specs that were, they're not specs, but these are from tiny collisions or collisions with tiny things, which have caused mm-hmm. quite a lot of damage. Uh, and yeah. that's just the tiniest of objects. So, uh, yeah, it, it, there's a lot that needs to happen here. Interestingly, some home news, the UK Space Agency in May commissioned quite a, a large project to look more closely at space junk and they've commissioned seven companies um, and given them all uh, I think a million pounds each to, to develop some more technology to make sure we're observing this and ESA have um, the European Space Agency have a launch plan for 2025 for a mission called Clear Space One which is the first uh, mission to hopefully clear some space junk and I, I understand that, there are, that, that, that the European Space agency are certainly trying hard to think about how uh, to, to help resolve this problem that they've got this growing problem that which is which is happening up there i don't want to sound like i'm dissing nasa here especially after what just happened a few minutes <laughs> ago um, yeah. which was incredible um but uh i, I think uh, the european space agency uh, as always they're very forward thinking um and i'm sure you know nasa and i think every space agency probably in the world <laughs> looks, mm. you know, at least with involvement, you know, where they have objects in space, you know, they are looking at this um, and yeah. try to keep track of everything in space. Um, you know, and I know there's agencies uh, that uh, really track, you know, deorbiting objects, what's going to come down next. Um, there's a gentleman on Twitter who I follow and he's a, uh, he's a friend of mine and he's really cool. And I think everybody should follow him on Twitter, but his name is uh, Jonathan McDowell. Okay. He's a, I believe, an astrophysicist. If I'm wrong, Jonathan, if you if you're listening, please uh, yell at me on Twitter. But uh, he also has a website, I believe, and uh, we'll try to we'll, link we'll to uh, put it in the sh- yeah we'll link yep. to that. But um, 
we'll put it in the show notes, but he has a website that catalogs a lot of space objects and launches and stuff like that. So if you're interested in looking at all these things, um, it's definitely uh, his website is something to check out. He's probably one of the biggest world experts on that. When this went down with the two objects last week, his Twitter account was the first place I went to because I was like, okay, I know I'm going to get the right information from him. Yeah. You know, and within moments, he uh, he put up the tweet from uh, Leo Labs where they said, okay, it cleared. But still, uh, I'll be honest, I stayed up to make, <laughs> not that it would have mattered if I'd gone to bed or not, you know, <laughs> but, yeah. um, not like me staying up would have <laughs> stopped it. But um, I did uh, stay up because I was like, is this going to happen or not? Because I don't want to wake up tomorrow. And it's like, dude, there's like thousands and thousands of little pieces in low Earth orbit. And I'm like, what yeah. just happened? Like, nobody had that on their bingo card for 2020. <laughs> we didn't have a lot of stuff on our bingo card. But that was another thing I did not add on there. Absolutely. You know, like um, Absolutely. giant space collision. So, yeah. Um, yeah, there was that, that great period where it went out of radio contact for for 10 to 15 minutes and it was like we wait, everyone was waiting to 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 find out when yeah. it came back in if if they were still intact or whether they had collided um but but then yeah then that tweet went up said looks like there's not been a collision and everyone was like oh okay well, that was a little bit of an anticlimax but uh, at least um the the positive story yeah, exactly. I could go to bed finally. Yeah. I think once I saw that tweet, I was like, okay, I can I can take my melatonin and fall asleep hey, now. Thank hey, you. Hey, Emily, maybe maybe this is part of your curse. But, yeah. but the positive side of it, when you stay awake <laughs> for these things, you prevent the collisions. So in yeah. future, if there's going to be a near miss, you need to stay awake. Otherwise, from now on, yeah, I it, can't. Can't yeah. go to bed. You can't go to It'll sleep. be like five in the morning. Can't go to bed. <laughs> yeah. Can't, you got to on a weeknight, you know? Can't go to sleep. You'd be up for like 36 hours. Yep. Maybe that's the opposite side of the curse. Uh, Starlink did go and I didn't watch it. Yeah. So that's why it went. Yeah, exactly. Uh, six, a second, the second uh, of the Falcon 9 rockets to have had six successful uh, liftoffs and landings, which is, um, which is still, you know, it just still blows my mind that they're doing that. Um, oh, yeah. I know it's regular. I know it's going to be another one this week, apparently, weather permitting or other things permitting. Um, there's one yeah. planned for the next week. So another 60 satellites. Yeah. I hate saying this word because I don't consider launch operations. I don't consider any launches routine because, you know, whenever you're sending stuff to space, it should not be considered routine. But and I don't. Oh, boy. I don't want to jinx nothing. But um. They make it look so easy. Like yeah. it, it, it looks so effortless. Like, yeah, we just launched something and landed it. Like, I feel like the dream, you know, this guy is one of my heroes. So I give him shout outs often. Like the dream of people like Gerard K. O'Neill, who dreamt of, you know, occupation in space and stuff like that. I feel like that's starting to get realized now with, you know, SpaceX just, you know, putting these vehicles up and Blue Origin and, you know, yeah. all these different kind of private launch vendors. So I, I feel very encouraged. It's another reason why we do have to keep this space junk thing in 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 check because yes. if 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 uh, Starship, the next space uh, SpaceX development, if that happens as Elon wants it to, then that's going to be doing five or six journeys a day up there. I, I do love all the launches, and I love the fact there's like cool stuff going on, but. 
people do need to be paying attention to this stuff about what what is up there. And uh, absolutely, and, and and it's weird because we now look at the night sky so completely different as well. We now have regular satellites, which you can see. I mean, it used to be mm-hmm. so rare to see a satellite going overhead, but now it's fairly regular. You look, you can look up on a clear night and you'll see satellites. Oh yeah. There's um there's some fairly good satellite trackers and um I I have one on my phone and there's if you just go to like your app store and just type in satellite tracker you should be able to find one or a few yeah one time I I got bored and it was like oh in five minutes is you know some kind of um God I'm probably getting the name of the rocket stage incorrect but it was like a Thor Agena rocket stage is passing over and I'm like <laughs> like. What? I, I, I they haven't been flying those in a while. Yeah. In a hot in about a a hot minute. I'm like, does somebody have like those on standby somewhere? And then I realized it hasn't deorbited yet. It's still up there. And it's so I went outside and it was it was near um dark. So it was like dusk, kinda like, you know, right before the sun goes down. And I would look and sure enough, it was right in the direction. Like I saw this glint. And I was like, Holy crap. There, I mean, it, there. It's very precise. You will, if you have your, your compass, you will see it in the correct direction if it's fairly clear out. So these are really good, and I highly suggest anybody who has like even a casual interest in space flight or space objects, um, if get one of these, and you can go out and view quite a few things. Even uh, spent rocket stages from the '60s. Yeah. So very cool. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Is pretty cool, uh, but anyway, let's crack on with our to, to our main story, shall we? Yes. Okay, here we go. Just before we started recording our podcast tonight, uh, we were both glued to the NASA live feed as the Osiris Rex mission performed a tag or touch and go maneuver to collect a sample from the asteroid Bennu. Bennu, I think, is called. Uh, this is a mission that has been planned for twenty years. And it launched on an Atlas V-411 rocket um, over four years ago on September 8, 2016. I, I think I watched the launch from my house, so I, I do remember this. It rendezvoused with the asteroid back in uh, December 2018, so about two years ago. And it has spent the last two years in orbit taking lots of photos of the surface to try and find a spot to take a sample from. Um, now... That kind of posed some uh, challenges because the uh, asteroid surface was a little different than expected. So, and also due to the low gravity of the asteroid, which is about as big as the Empire State Building, it's a challenge just to get a spacecraft in orbit, but even harder to collect a sample. Um, now, they couldn't land on the asteroid, but instead they devised a way to collect a sample on a uh, during a fly past or a fly or during a flyby. Uh, they gave themselves three chances to be able to do this, and this was the first attempt. So, you know, God forbid, had it not worked, they would have had two more tries, but it worked. And as we record this, they've been successful with the contact, but we won't find out if they successfully got a sample for a few days. But if it didn't, it's good to know that it survived and they can at least have another go around. Uh, so in March next year, the craft should be in position to start its journey home, and it should be back here by 2023. And it will be the biggest sample return from space since 1972. Okay, marinate on how many years that's been. <laughs> yeah, okay? exactly. Um, that was when Apollo 17 re- returned from the moon. So 
Let's talk about this. This is a game changer for many reasons. Dave, what do you think? Uh, yeah. Uh, wow. It was just so much fun, wasn't it? Was it not just so much fun seeing this? Yes. And do you know, do you know, uh, I think what I really love about this stuff when this happens and, and watching the, the live streams is often you don't watch, you're not watching footage from, from it happening because they, they haven't quite got that bit yet, right yet with, uh, with communications. Um, yeah, with but data. Also, all you're doing is watching the team sitting at their, in their, the, at their desk. This happens with Mars landings as well, obviously. And seeing the reaction of the team that have worked so hard on this just absolutely fills my heart with such joy when you see it and, and when it goes well. And the fact they did it first attempt, it was just wonderful to watch. And uh, right as it ended, Emily, I think you turned off at this point, but there was a I guy did, unfortunately. just you know, signing off and he passed on to someone else. But then they forgot to turn his mic off. And so it was on someone else as she was talking, but in the background you could hear this guy breathing heavily and composing himself and getting emotional as as the weight of everything that had happened and all this work they'd, they'd done over the years comes to its conclusion. Well, not conclusion as we said earlier, but the, but this part of the mission comes to that point and it worked. And you, you can't fathom how you know when you're putting that much of your life into one project. That's crazy. And and, and a few of them all mentioned. Um, a, a scientist called Michael Drake, uh, who started, yes. he was one of the, the scientists which started this this project, <clears throat> and uh, and he died in 2011. And and they were all keen to bring him up in the in the thing to say he'd be so happy right now. He'd be here with us celebrating. It's a sa- Sam, shame he's not here. And the human impact of these kind of things happening just really gets me. And I was sitting here, I had, I definitely had asteroid dust in my eyes. Um, but the, the Arisis Rex, which I think is a beautiful name, by the way, I love the fact it's got a dinosaur vibe to it. Uh, it stands for Origins Spectral <laughs> Interpretation Resource Identification Security Regolith Explorer, uh, which is a wonderful way that they've, they've managed to turn that into a nice word. Yes, a, a nice little acronym. Yeah, a beautiful it. acronym. It's a really good one. Um, yeah, I, I was thinking the same thing when I was watching it because I was just watching everybody's reactions and. Um, as the kind of the live cast, you know, repeated, you know, it, this is a long project and um, planetary missions or not not even planetary missions, deep space missions mm. with, you know, space probes. Those are very long term projects. Um, a, a lot of people I know you realize that, but I think a lot of people who are more casual space observers um, and this is not to fault them or anything, because it's really hard unless you, you know, do a lot of research on this stuff. To realize, you know, how many decades go into this, you know, um, for example, like uh, I have I have a friend of mine, Rachel Tillman, and she runs um, I'm probably messing the name of it up. It's the Viking, um, basically the Viking Preservation Project. And it's about the Viking missions from the 70s, which some of you may remember. I remember them. Um, but it was the first U.S. landers. The There were two landers to land successfully on Mars. And Viking actually had roots in another project called Voyager, not the Voyager that we know, but um, it was supposed to be, it, it was a project where they were supposed to take Saturn V's, I'm not kidding, and launch, you know, a giant Mars mission, you know, an uncrewed Mars mission. Obviously, with budget cuts and NASA, that didn't happen, but this was proposed as early as the 60s. And if you look at, you know, you do the math, Vikings didn't launch till 1975, so... That took probably around almost a decade to develop, and that's really not a long time. 
from Mars mission. Now, this OSIRIS-REx has taken about two decades to develop. I know Rosetta, which was a European Space Agency mission, and some of you may remember it, it was amazing. Yeah. They landed a uh, small probe, a uh, filet, on uh, Comet 67P. That took several decades to develop, and I think they actually had, um, if I'm not mistaken, I think they had to change targets at one point, they wanted to land one place uh, on a. I want, want to say they wanted to land on a different comet at one point, but that became impossible. So they had to select a different target. So um, these missions really take forever, and people who are in them are in them for decades. Um, so that to see the science team's reaction, you know, to when they had that moment where okay, it worked the way it was supposed to. To me, I was like. Yeah, I, I had a little dust in my eyes. I was I was getting emotional because I'm like, you know, I know how important it is for this stuff to work. And granted, they have two more tries. So if it hadn't, you know, not every it's not hopeless. But um, as I said earlier in the podcast, um, you know, with all the sadness that has been happening this year and all the adversity we've all been going through this year, it's so wonderful to see something so positive and uplifting like that. Where yeah, okay, we. We put it. We put a spacecraft on an asteroid and sampled it, and then the spacecraft flew away. I mean, that's like stuff you read about in like, you know, science fiction books from the forties or something. But no, it's real. It's really, it's real, and they just did it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm still in that excitement mode. I, I apologize. People listening are probably just getting annoyed, but I'm just still like bubbling with excitement. And this is a project, you know, that many that I've followed. I remember back. God, seven, eight years ago, I was writing about this project for America Space, and I'm reading about it at the time thinking, man, this is crazy. Like, why are they going to send something to an asteroid? Whatever. You know, nowadays, I'm like, this is incredible, and it worked. Yeah. You know, so. We will post links to the to the video of the of the broadcast, because they, they talk through the technology they've used and uh, and how it all, all happened. And it's just, cr- the engineering is crazy. How they even thought to do it that way is ridiculous, uh, but it, but uh, but they've made it work. Interestingly, they also pointed out there's a number of partners that, have, uh, that were included within this project, yes. including JAXA. And I happened to literally just Google JAXA and asteroids, and it, t- it turns out that that Japan have actually done this kind of thing before. Yeah, I think they have. They, they have. They've had two uh, asteroids. As far as I'm aware, they've only had two asteroid landings, which is still cool. Uh, very cool. They did one quite a while ago, and that. That brought a tiny sample back of 0.001 grams in 2010, <laughs> uh, and there's a that th- their missions are called the ha- Hayabusa. That was Hayabusa one, yeah, and Hayabusa two landed a couple of years ago on an asteroid, and it's actually going to be returning later this year, apparently, with a bigger sample. Uh, so maybe we'll have to talk about that at some point as well. But I wasn't aware of that. That's one of those things where. The NASA stuff gets reported, but but often other agencies get overlooked. Uh, maybe their yeah. press departments aren't as good or and whatever. Th- but um, certainly in this country, I'd not heard of that before before this happened. So that's also interesting. That I had no idea these things were happening. And you, you were aware of the mission. I wasn't aware of this mission. You you happened to to, to text me this week saying, "Oh yeah, the the uh, asteroid Bennu things happening this week." I'm like, what? Uh, what's this cool <laughs> wow what the hell yeah um so it's it's cra- I, I wonder how many other missions are going to come up over the next few years which are going to blow me away which i'm going to have no idea we're even in the pipeline and yet the amount of work that's gone into them and and the and the, the 
the workload and the, the, the science we're going to, the things we're going to learn from this. As, as you were pointing out, that one of the big things from this is there's the the dart yes. technology, which is part of what this is helping to test as well, which is um, a way we can defend against asteroids if I, that, that may be coming to the Earth. But I'm pretty sure that there's, there's technology involved in this mission to do with that as well, to learn more about that. Yeah, there's actually um, uh, NASA and I believe some international partners as well. Uh, there's quite a few asteroid-related type missions that are in the works. Uh, DART is called the... Um, it's the It stands for the Double Asteroid Redirection Test. And um, it is what it says it is. It's a test. And basically, um, in layman's terms, it means um, they're going to send up a spacecraft. And what it's going to try to do is it's going to try to bounce the asteroid kind of off its path. And it's going to basically try to see, okay, what happens if we try to do that? And the reason why um, that is really important, it sounds crazy and it sounds very science fiction. uh, But the reason why this is so important and why these kinds of missions are really important is because of planetary protection, basically, yeah. which is um, it's kind of a relatively new field. But I think in our lifetimes, we're going to find that it's very important because, um, uh, you know, um, I'm not trying to be like the movie Armageddon is real. <laughs> um, it's a documentary. But in the un- I don't want to say unlikely because I'll jinx ourselves. But in the event that, you know, an asteroid gets a little too far away from the asteroid belt. It gets a little carried away from its mama duckling and uh, ends up coming here. And we don't want it to hit here because it could cause cataclysmic uh, problems on this earth. Um, There's a, you know, they want to test this kind of technology to see, is it possible to send a spacecraft up maybe with, you know, something in it to perhaps, you know, kick this asteroid away from us. Yeah. So that, at the end of the day, we just don't want to have to rely on Bruce Willis. Yes. Yeah, he might be dead by then. We don't know. Exactly. We might not have Bruce Willis. We may not have Bruce Willis to save the day. So if that's the case, uh, we need to we need some technology. And and you're right, it is good that they're they're thinking about it. And it does sound so sci-fi because obviously the movies Deep Impact, Armageddon, you know, we've we've seen this in the movie. So uh it's it's pretty crazy that it's in real life we are thinking about this. Uh, this stuff and we you know for the for the good of the planet hopefully um yeah so to preserve yeah. our species which um, is uh important <laughs> but yeah, preserve the human species and other species as well yeah it, it has been a wonderful night and i i can't imagine what must be like in the in the offices where 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 the where the team are right now because they must feel they must feel over the moon i'm sure there's lots of celebrations going on uh, and it looks like it's going to be an emotional time for them as well. Like uh, with everything that's gone on this year, as you said, the fact that they've they've managed to get to this point and make this happen, and it happened first time, that's just incredible. Well done, good, good, yeah. good game, well played. Yeah, I I didn't want to be pessimistic, but whenever I see like um you know landings and stuff, and I'm always kind of like, oh, okay, if it doesn't happen, it's not the end of the world. It'll suck, but it's not the end of the world. But um, I was very excited to see them get it right on the first time. Yeah. And tomorrow, uh, obviously, our show doesn't come out until Thursday. But uh, by tomorrow, which will be Wednesday, we're taping on a Tuesday, um, we should see some images from this approach. Um, the reason why we're not seeing them right now on Tuesday is because of the data rate. Is um, The spacecraft is 200 miles 
Yeah, 200 million, not 200 miles away. It's not in Cape Canaveral. No, the actual spacecraft is 200 million miles away. It's on the other side of the solar system right now. So, exactly. So, the data stream it's sending back is really small because it's so so far away from us. Yeah. So we're gonna get pictures tomorrow. It was one. It was one of the fun things about watching the uh, watching the stream is is at one point they said, "Well, of course it's already happened, but we won't know about it for another ten minutes yet because it was an exactly. eight, uh, 14, I think was it fourteen or eighteen. I can't remember what it was. Something around that lag between the time things actually happen and the time we hear about it because of how far away it actually is. Uh, and that, that yeah. always blows my mind that those kind of things and and the more we go to Mars the more we're going to have to deal with that kind of stuff as well I mean, it's alright when we go to the moon and it's only a few seconds but I'm wondering I don't know uh, maybe that's something we should investigate in the future is like if there was a Mars mission is there any way we can now I feel I hope I don't make myself look like a dummy but I'm like is there any way to possibly expedite communications from Mars to the Earth you know, and because I'll be honest, I'm not an expert in um, the communications realm. I, mm. I know very little, but um, I'm sure there's got to be somebody out there who could maybe school us on it. Yeah, so. that, that we could. <laughs> do, do, do you know what? That's that's one of the things I always took for granted with with uh, with space travel. And it wasn't until I read uh, "Failure Is Not an Option" by Gene Kranz, I appreciated how much work that they put in in the early days just to be able to try and communicate with the spaceships as they were going around, the spacecraft as they were going around. And there was so many dead spots. There was huge chunks yeah. where, where the, 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 and even, even in the shuttle era as well, there was big periods where, uh, where you didn't have c- communication with, with the shuttle, which, which is crazy. Um, and, yeah. and you kind of take it for granted that they could, could talk all the time. The movies make out as if they could, but uh, they, they really couldn't. But yeah, the, the interesting, while we talk about Mars, do you remember why I, I talked about that um, TV show away that was on Netflix? Yes, I remember that. Yeah, yep. uh, it's been cancelled already. <laughs> I heard, yeah. <laughs> it's really sad because I, I quite enjoyed it myself. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. uh, clearly not enough people watched it. But it'd be interesting, they talked about, they had the, the issues with the communications as well. And there came a point, they were able to do video calls up to a certain distance and then they the data couldn't, travel that far well enough or something like that so i wonder if that's actually there's some truth in that and i wonder whether those who are planning on going to mars soon soon uh are thinking carefully as you said and and are trying to expedite that process and and speed up communications like is there a way of having a a satellite somewhere between us and then probably probably not or mirrors I don't I don't know how it works, but someone's got to be thinking about this, right? Yeah, that's the thing. Like I I, I know I sound like a dummy, but me too. like um I read a book. I read a book once and I, it was ages ago, so um I don't remember much from it, but it was about Tedris. It was about the um tracking and data relay system, uh which first started in the early 80s with the shuttle and I'm sure it was developed way before then and I think um I could get into this further, but I don't want to make everybody fall asleep. <laughs> but uh, I'm kind of like, is there a way to have a kind of that for other places? You know, like the moon or maybe, you know, the Mars. Is there any feasible way that this can be done so there's not communication outages? I'm sure there is, but that's not my background. And honestly, I don't know. So I could be making an idiot of myself just bringing this up right now. But I'm like, 
um, it's something I think about because I'm like, there's going to come a time. It might not be in my lifetime where I think we're, you know, humans are going to have to start thinking about, okay, we're going to go to Mars. We're going to go to deep space. We're going to do all these things, you know, and I honestly believe there will be a time when that's going to happen. And how are we going to talk to each other? (laughs) Yes, very true. Very true. But it's been a fun night. It's been a very fun night. Yes. It's been awesome. There it is. There's the buster. I mean, there's Black. We're here. You, you did it. <laughs> we are here. So before we go, Emily, I've got to ask, have you managed to watch the right stuff? Yes, I watched all three episodes. I want to give a shout out to uh, an, an anonymous friend who uh, actually gifted me a Disney Plus uh subscription oh beautiful yes so i want to give a massive thanks to this person because i have now been able to catch up uh, on these episodes Uh, i I sat in bed i think friday night and and just (laughs) binged all of them i really enjoyed it i uh i really loved the kind of the aesthetic of the show and i I really thought it was good i i was very um i was nervous but i was pleasantly surprised and i'm uh i'm looking forward to the rest of the season so we'll see i'm keeping my fingers crossed that the rest of the season is just as good. Yeah, what we'll do is when the season's over, there's eight episodes. When it's over, so next month, we'll do a recap and perhaps uh, perhaps talk a bit more in depth about our, our final thoughts on the season uh, and, uh, and maybe look at some of the things that, that they have got wrong, if they have got anything wrong. or to, Interestingly, Collect Space... Um, Uh, uh, every week they're doing an article on the episode where they're saying what was right and wrong about it which which I think is wonderful so if you want to find it go on the CollectSpace website and and if you're really interested in that kind of thing and and how uh, accurate um, that show is being then then go check that out but also before we go I I want to shout out um, to an article uh, written by Francis French um, which was published on the Vintage Space page on Medium.com this week. Uh, the, the article was called Gay Astronauts, A Final Frontier. Um, it's a really wonderful article. We will obviously put a link in uh, in our show notes. Uh, it's, a re- yeah, it's a really fantastic article, which it was both heartbreaking and inspiring, but also was, was, was full of hope. Uh, and it tells a story of the history of, of astronauts who, have, who are gay who have come out, and of which we are only know of three right now. Uh, one, one is a current astronaut. Um, t- two, we didn't hear about until much later. Um, and of course, Sally Ride, we didn't find out until the day she died. Uh, and it's all it's all mentioned in this in this wonderful article. And then very shortly after that, Mike Mullane, uh, a former astronaut, former shuttle astronaut, who was in the same shuttle group as Sally Ride, posted the most beautiful post on the Space Hipsters page, Facebook page, including a letter that he wrote to Sally Ride's partner after after she died, uh, expressing his own remorse for his behaviour back in the early days. Uh, and it, it's a thing that you will know. A, a, about from his uh, of his if you've read his book riding rockets um and uh, but but that book and this post are just really beautiful and show his personal growth and it's an example to all men really and i know i personally took a lot from that book in knowing how to talk about my past mistakes in sexism and homophobia and uh, and both that article and his response to it were just were just wonderful and, and you and i text about it shortly afterwards saying oh that was emotional. Like it was a wonderful yes. thing that happened. So if you if check out that um that article and if you are on the Space Hipsters page, try and find that post by Mike as well. 
which I think was posted by his wife. But uh, try and find that. It's well worth reading. He posted it under his wife's account. I don't think he has a personal Facebook, but um, he, he did post it in the group. It's really surreal. Mike Mullane posting on Space Hipsters about that. Yeah. This was somebody as a kid, you know, I had their crew photo on my wall. Like, yeah, STS-41D, woo! You know, and I had the liftoff photo of Discovery, and now he's posting in my group, yeah. which is nuts. But, um, so it's very surreal. Yeah, I, I remember reading that. I, I think I was at lunch at my day job reading it, and I was like, is this real? Because it was just so, like, it hit me so hard. Like, oh, God, I'm about to get emotional talking about it, because I'm like, if you read Writing Rockets, at the beginning of the book, you're like, man, this guy's a pig. Yeah. Like, honestly, when I first started reading the book, I didn't like him. Yeah. And my, you know, obviously I finished the book and I was like, okay, he was trying to illustrate that, you know, when he showed up to NASA, he had never worked with a woman before. Yeah. And, but he did work with women eventually, such as, you know, uh, Sally. And he did work with Judy Resnick. He flew with her on his, um, his first mission. You know, and he got to understand that, you know, women engineers were extremely competent and, you know, just as good, if not better than, you know, their male counterparts. When I started the book and when I completed the book, it was two different emotions. Because when I first started the book, I was like, I don't want to finish this. And, um, (laughs) you know, because I hate to say this, I'm not trying to make this about myself, but um, when I first joined the Navy, I was the first woman in in my plant. And, um... That was kind of difficult. I mean, there yeah. were, I, I, and I hate to say this because I love most of the men that I've worked with in my life. I'm very, you know, I've always had very close relationships with guys I've worked with, but it, it got very difficult. It was very difficult because there were the one or two men who were just like, look, I've never worked with a woman and I don't want to work with you. Wow. I mean, serious. It, and this was in the 90s. This yeah. wasn't in, you know, the 80s or the 70s, nothing. So that was, that could be very hard because there were, Unfortunately, you know, some men who had kind of a hostile attitude and um, to hear him, you know, kind of admit, okay, I admit, I admit, you know, my attitude that I took was wrong and, you know, I've worked hard to change it. To hear a man say that from the military for me was like, Uh, it aided me in my own healing from that experience, Mm. being in the military and being like, you're the only woman here, you know, and kind of feeling like you're an other, you know, or something. And reading that for me was very moving. And I'm going to stop because I'm getting emotional. <laughs> uh, it was a great post and the, and the book is wonderful. And as, as I said, it's it's something that, that perhaps all, all men should read because it, it does help you to understand how to address uh, your, your past. Because uh, I think a lot of men, mm-hmm. we grew up in a world which told us we were better, even even if we don't like to admit it, we, we have lived in that world. And... As a result, we do mm-hmm. have behavior uh, and things that we have said and done in the past and maybe still now, which we shouldn't have and we shouldn't do. And the only way of of addressing it is by us acknowledging, oh, wow, we're part of the problem, even if we think we are good people. And uh, often it's out of ignorance or just the c- circumstance of how we've been brought up uh, in terms of societally brought up but we can change it and it's by people like Mike writing this book and making us a, yes. you know showing hey I had this attitude once and it wasn't good and actually I've learnt my lesson and I'm so much better I feel so much better about 
who I am and um, and the world as a result of the fact that my outlook has changed. Uh, that, that exactly. and, and ultimately, the the the, the, <laughs> the stupid thing about uh, sexism is it requires men to talk to men for it to be fixed. That's the <laughs> that's the, the real irony. Yeah, because because a sexist man isn't going to listen to a woman tell them. Uh, yeah, and, you're right, and that's um, that's that's one of the ironies about it. Yes, of course, we need women to to fight the fight as well, but but men have got yeah. to play their part in this if we're going to going to correct it. And, and Mike's book for yeah. me and my own personal journey within this was huge when I read that in terms of me realizing, oh God, I've got a long way to go, um, and and I'm a lot younger than him. Yeah, like I said before, um, I don't want to make this too too long, but reading his book for me and the situations that I went through. For me, it, it was kind of a healing experience to hear a guy say, okay, that's what I thought, and here's how I've tried to rectify that, and now I know that, you know, okay, this is why I thought that way. Mm. This was my line of thinking because of the way I was raised and the environment mm. I was in. You know, and the military environment is very macho. Exactly. It, yeah. You know, it, it really is. Yeah, watch the right and, stuff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah i mean it's like that it's it's very like everybody's just competitive and it's very masculine and it's these guys are competitive with everybody and then you arrive and you know you get a little more attention because you look different and it's just it it can be very hard and to hear you know mike come clean about okay i was wrong and to you know write a mea culpa to sally's partner and to know that you know this was something sincere it was yeah. just for me it was a healing experience because i'm like wow people can change and move on from that worldview. Yeah. So that was, that was very moving for me. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and he's, and he's continuing to learn as we all must do as well. And I think that's, that's important, yeah. but, but this all, this all stemmed from that beautiful Francis French article, which I recommend everyone read as well. That, that was yes. a really great article. Uh, and, I'm sure he he would appreciated the response that it got as well from from Mike and others. Check that out if you haven't already. What a ride, what a ride. Another huge week in space. I hope you've enjoyed our little summary of everything. It really is an exciting time to be alive if you like space exploration. Yeah, it really is. Um, f- thanks again to everyone who's listened and especially to our Patreons who continue to support the show monthly. Uh, and you can join in over on patreon.com forward slash space and things. Uh, and don't forget, you can also just go and get one of our T-shirts or make a donation on our website as well. We'll be back next week to celebrate the space station. And celebrate we will. But remember, in space, no one can hear you stream. Space and Things has been brought to you by And Things Productions. 